today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Watching NDP, federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's uh, news conference yesterday, and he was uh, constantly asked about uh, shutting down air travel because of the variants, which are the great cause of concern right the way across the country and is responsible for our third wave. Uh, and rather than address um, uh, air travel, he constantly moved back to paid sick leave and how that should be the focus as opposed to stopping uh, variants coming in from other countries. However, he did say he would follow the science, which I think has already made its decision on this. We've got to look at what is the public health advice and what is the best practice possible so we can keep people safe. I'm open to whatever is in the best interest of Canadians and what will work to keep us safe. And that was pretty much all that Jugmeet Singh would say about air travel and uh, banning flights from uh, various uh, hotspots uh, around the world. Again, uh, moving more towards the solution is uh, is not about shutting down airports or stopping the variants. It's about paid sick leave. Uh, that seems to have taken the message more or has gotten the message or, or the headlines more than the variants or uh, the vaccines arrival uh, for that part. Uh, uh, here's what uh, Aaron O'Toole, conservative leader, had to say about uh, airlines and travel and such and borders. The government needs to secure the border by stopping flights from all hotspot countries and, in fact, perhaps all international travel temporarily till we can rectify and secure our border. All right, let's bring in John Iveson, his latest in the National Post. Shouting talking points, no substitute uh, for COVID border policy. And I want to read you uh, a portion of that uh, article. Catherine McKenna, the infrastructure minister, revealed the dirty little secret of modern politics when she was caught on camera saying that if politicians holler their talking points, then repeat them louder still, people will totally believe it. All right, let's bring in John Iveson from the National Post now. John, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Hi, Scott. It seems we're talking more about paid sick, de- uh, paid sick day leave in Ontario than we are about variants coming in or even vaccines coming in. Yeah, well, the the, uh, the border thing's kind of interested me in the last little while in that I do think it's an area that we can uh, we can do better. And the the federal government, knows that we can do better, but it prefers not to talk about it because it knows that it hasn't done a great job in the last year. Um, Bill Blair tweeted out at the weekend that uh, Canada closed its borders to non-essential travel a year ago and that, in any case, international travel is only less than 2% of, of all COVID cases. And that, to me, is just so misleading that it needs to be corrected. If you if that was honestly the case, John, then we wouldn't be worried about variants. How can you possibly say that? Right. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, as Doug Ford said, they, they didn't swim here. Yeah. It, the, the, the government has fallen back repeatedly on these numbers that, that come from the, the public health organization, uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada. And yet the Public Health Agency of Canada doesn't even defend them. There's a little footnote on the... Uh, on the graphs where it where it talks about travel related uh, cases, and it says these numbers are underestimated because the public health agency does not trace uh, where the where the the cases came from. You know, for one example, the Roberta Place long term care home in Barry, 
There were 220 people in that facility that caught COVID. 71 residents died. And it's universally acknowledged by the, the district health unit there that the, the case, the, the, originated, uh, the originator of the uh, disease in the long-term care home was somebody who had been in close contact with a traveller who was quarantining in their home. This, all of these cases were rooted in this traveller, yet none of them are recorded officially in the statistics for travel-related uh, COVID cases. So, it, you know, the minister is falling back on figures that nobody believes, and therefore he can excuse himself for doing nothing. And it appears that the federal government seems happy with just standing back and letting the provinces take the heat for that, because that that's what seems to be getting the attention now. Right. I mean, I think the federal government couldn't ignore things any further when last week when it came to uh, to India and Pakistan, and therefore it took the the draconian action in its view of closing flights for thirty days. Now, I'm not suggesting there is no cost to closing flights. Though clearly we get a lot of uh, uh, cargo comes in in the belly of passenger aircraft. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly, if we closed the border down, uh, the land border down, then that supply chains would be disrupted. Um, you know, 110,000 truckers a week come over that border. But to suggest that, that travel is not the major cause of of COVID is just uh, a dereliction of duty, in my opinion. I mean, any uh, epidemiologist will tell you, if you close down travel, you close down COVID. And, you know, is this resonating with Ontarians and Canadians as they're being asked to make the sacrifice while the elite fly around? Well, it it is becoming a little bit of a political football. The federal government is obviously saying travel doesn't matter because it's within its jurisdiction. At the same time, you know, I saw Stephen Lecce, the the education minister this morning, talking about uh, variants still coming in. And he's right. I mean, we can the, the 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 daily count of flights coming in with somebody with COVID on them uh, is there for all to see. It's on a government website, so we're we're still importing uh, COVID variants, even though we've we've uh, we've uh, closed down direct flights from India and Pakistan. We I mean we know that people are going to go through uh, probably through London or through an, another third party route. Uh, you know, they're obliged to get a test there, but it's not going to stop people coming if they want to come because there are plenty of flights coming in. Anybody who wants to check the Toronto Pearson website and see how many flights come in a day, I think they'll be shocked. There were 12 million people have come into Canada in the last year. And, wow. you know, we so much for Bill Blair's comments that uh, uh, travel has been closed down. It has not. Just at the local level, just at, just at our house. Um, you know, I, I found it interesting, too, that, you know, uh, the prime minister was questioned on this restriction with air travel with India and Pakistan for quite a while and then didn't, you know, was waiting on it. The U.K. had said they were going to do it and then gave an end date. So, you know, people at least had a chance to go back and forth. Uh, I, I thought it was odd that the U.K. announced it and then said it's a Friday. It's going to close to allow people pre- to prepare. But yet the Canadian government just did it like immediately which left a lot of people stranded. Yeah, I mean, none of these things are, 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 are ideal. But I think from, from Canada's point of view, um, you know, it was clear that every flight coming in from Delhi 
had uh, had people who were who were sick on it. I mean, the, yeah. the, when you look at the uh, the government website, which records cases of people who subsequently found to have a, had COVID, every single flight that was coming in from Delhi into Vancouver and Toronto had um, had somebody with COVID. And I think that they, they maybe should have flagged it a little bit earlier. But but uh, you know, I fully support that idea that you you can't continue with that situation. In fact, I would go further and say agree with her too, that maybe it's time to have a circuit breaker close the airspace down for a little while, even domestically, because um, the P1 variant that comes from Brazil is almost exclusively contained in British Columbia right now. There's, you know, 2,200 of 2,800 cases, something, something like that, are in British Columbia. And yet there are seven flights a day from Vancouver to Toronto. I mean, how long before... We start yeah. seeing the numbers of P1 variant rocketing in, in, in Ontario. And we're already seeing them, them inching up. So to me, it would be a, a good idea. We're in the middle of a third wave. We don't want a fourth wave. And I, and I really believe that if we'd had a, a circuit breaker in January, we may not have had a third wave. Uh, NDP leader, federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh yesterday during his press conference was repeatedly asked about the air travel and, and the issues we're just talking about, the variants and such. And every time he was asked about it, other than the, uh, we played a, about a 10 second clip of, of him saying, uh, if that's what science suggests, that's what, you know, I'm all for that, which is of course what the doctors are suggesting, which is why we got here. Uh, but then he would pivot and, and not address the situation and immediately go to paid sick leave, paid sick leave, as if paid sick leave is the solution over and above the variants or the vaccine. Yeah, well, I, you know, I mean, paid sick leave might be part of the solution. But, um, you know, I think from his, from his point of view, they got paid, paid sick leave at a, at a federal level. They are, quote unquote, the workers party. This is a, a something that he can hammer on. Um, I'm not quite sure why he wouldn't support uh, stricter uh, stricter travel restrictions as well. Um, but you know, politicians have got have got their issues, and they're uh, and they're going to stick to them. And you're not going to knock them off their talking points. You talked about uh, you know possibly just shutting down our all air travel uh, for a period of time, and obviously, as passenger planes fly, as you pointed out, cargo is in those jets. So if we do shut down air travel, it, are there ramifications that we're not aware of? Because, again, it, it's kind of hard to believe, well, w- you know, that we're being asked to do what we're doing, yet people are flying around. What would happen if they shut it all down tomorrow for, say, two weeks, uh, a month? Well, you know, clearly there would be a, a cost to that. It's. Um, uh, I spoke to an epidemiologist yesterday who was saying, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? And that's the, that's the calculation you've got to make. Would 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 it be um, effective enough from a public health point of view uh, to be worth some short-term pain? You know, so, is the juice worth the squeeze? Well, it's hard, hard for me to know. I mean, I don't know how much of our proportion of our uh, supply chain is reliant on air travel from mm. Europe, for example, uh, compared to what comes across the border um, by truck. Now, I'm, I'm I'm sure that more comes across the border by truck, and the solution there. Maybe things like we're starting to see in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, where uh, truck drivers are getting vaccinated in North Dakota. Yeah, it's a program where uh, where as Canadian drivers go into the states, uh, they get vaccinated there, and it, and it's a win-win situation because they're not carrying 
COVID into the States and they're not bringing it back into, into Canada. So there are ways around this uh, on, the, on the land border. Another way around it is that uh, we've got uh, 117 two-way border crossings, which seems crazy. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we, the, the Border Services Agency said we can't do what we're doing at airports as far as mandatory quarantine because there are far too many um, crossings. And yet, they managed to narrow down international travel to four airports. Uh, they could, it seems to me, narrow the number of crossings down significantly and put in stricter control measures. Some kind of quarantine, some kind of testing, um, increased vaccinations for truckers. In that way, you're starting to uh, inoculate people and you're starting to protect people from stuff that's coming across the land border. If you do that in conjunction with uh, cutting down the number of international and domestic flights, that seems to me to be a, a, a reasonable solution to the idea that we may have another uh, another wave coming after this one. And as was pointed out to me yesterday by a professor I was speaking to, if the next mutation of this uh, of this virus, the next variant, uh, is resistant to vaccines, we're potentially back to square one again. Yeah. What is... What what do you think the federal government's next move has to be here? Simply because I mean we're waiting for vaccines to come in. Uh, you know, I just finished talking to the the head of the Hamilton Emergency Table. Uh, they're still operating at a third of their capacity, between a third and fifty percent of their capacity uh, to vaccinate. Uh, they said even as things ramp up to two million doses a week coming up through May, they're still running at under capacity. So it seems obvious we are waiting still for vaccine we are seeing people as they lower the age uh the lineups go up again as people are trying to get in and get their sleeve rolled up uh and and such so what does the what does the federal government do next i mean how much of this can you keep you know forging on to the provinces because we have no vaccine uh here's the predicament you're left to deal with uh, what's their next move here? Because it seems obvious there's not much more the provinces can do while they're waiting for vaccines other than continually lock us down. I don't think there's much the federal government can do either. I mean, they're locked into delivery schedules. And I think that the the, uh, the 2 million Pfizer a week will be a, make a big difference. I mean, yeah. the, the projections I've seen, uh, we're going to be 75% vaccinated by the end of June, which I think most people, if, they, if you'd had that option at the start of the year, would have said, oh, that's, that's not too bad, because the government's obviously kept talking about September. Well, I think that's, that's been smart of them, because I think it's going to be June yeah. by the time we get, get everything in. But they can't produce vaccine out of nowhere. Um, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is going to start rolling. Um, we may get extra from the, from the United States or the AstraZeneca. So They've they've been very slow. I mean, I talked about that Roberta place case where seventy one people died. You know, those residents were about to get uh, vaccinated with Moderna, and, mm. it, and suddenly it was prior to the uh, outbreak striking. It was diverted to somewhere else in the GTA, and they didn't get their vaccine, and seventy one people died. Mm. You know, the federal government has got aware of some of this because they were. We didn't have any domestic supply. We didn't get it quick enough to the people who needed it. Um, but having got through that January, February real muddy patch, 
I think that the federal government is going to look okay on vaccines by by June. Um, I think they're going to look less great on things like borders, um, maybe rapid testing, uh, some of the other areas the federal government has fallen short on. But uh, but at the moment, there's not much they can do to speed up the vaccine. I don't think. Uh, obviously, with what India is going through now and, and the dire straits they are in right now, has uh, ceased the AstraZeneca vaccine exports, which uh, obviously is where Canada's uh, AstraZeneca come fr- came from, as well as a portion of it from the United States. Uh, so obviously, Europe has got its own problem along with India and such. And, 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 you know, they're not going to sit and let Canada get across, uh, the finish line before they are. At the end of the day, with what you're talking about in June and July, a lot of this will end up being uh, a result of the United States. As the United States gets everybody fully vaccinated, uh, even Europe's talking about allowing vaccinated Americans to travel there this summer. As that happens, we're going to see automatically more come to Canada. No? Sorry, automatically more more vaccine. More vaccine come to Canada simply because the U.S. is finished up. Yeah, but I think that we we're going to be neck and neck with them. But but the rate we're going, and I've seen the projections, um, we're going to hit seventy five percent pretty much around the same time they are. I mean, we're we're starting to do three hundred thousand people uh, a day now. Now, if we keep keep up that rate. But isn't the difference here, John, the fact that, you know, they're, they're not waiting for their second dose. They're getting their second dose two or three weeks later. Uh, whereas the reason we're seeing these massive numbers in Canada is because it's all been, it's all been pushed towards the first dose and we're like oh, sitting that. at two and a half percent. For sure. I mean, you know, I mean, AstraZeneca is meant to be a 12 week wait. In fact, I think even, it was maybe even less than that according to the manufacturer. But mm-hmm. most other countries were, 12 weeks between vaccinations and we're 16 weeks which um which is not the manufacturer's recommendation and the same with pfizer pfizer doesn't recommend uh, yeah. the length of time that uh, in fact they put out a press release saying uh, it shouldn't be as long as it is in canada so yes i mean there's no doubt that that uh that governments have been manipulating the dosage so that they can get more into more people's arms but um you know, I know people are frustrated with the vaccine, and you know, Scott, I am not uh, one for sticking up for the federal government if they don't deserve it. But, and I don't think the performance on vaccine has been great over the entire piece. But I do think that by uh, by the time Pfizer starts kicking in two million doses a week, and you roll in Johnson and Johnson, you roll in the Moderna yeah. and um, and whatever AstraZeneca we get from the states or India. Probably not so much from India now, but uh, although we are due another half a million doses, I think. But also South Korea. AstraZeneca comes from South Korea, too. So mm-hmm. so I think people are frustrated with the vaccine thing, but it will improve. John Iveson with us. Shouting talking points is no substitute for proper COVID border policy. It's his latest in the National Post. John, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. Same to you. Bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. This is a global pandemic, and it's really showed how much we're connected. If there is an outbreak in any part of the world, it impacts all of us. Uh, we, have, we have seen that impact. We've seen the spread of the, of the pandemic and how when it, is, when it is flaring up in certain parts of the world, it impacts the rest of the world. So we absolutely need to help other countries around the world. And right now, India is going through a horrible situation. It is catastrophic. Uh, The case counts 
the, the horrible conditions in hospitals and, and what people are going through right now is horrible. So they absolutely need our help. We have to consider ourselves global citizens and we have to look around the world and see how we can help. That's why we had said in the beginning, I was troubled by uh, Canada being the only G7 country that was accessing COVAX because we should be supporting the vaccine dis uh, distribution around the world. We should be helping that. Um, that's why I said it was a problem that, that Canada is not able to produce our own vaccine. Not being able to produce it here means we're not able to get enough for our own citizens, but it also means we're not able to help and assist in the global struggle against this pandemic. Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh talking about the situation in India, obviously the world uh, trying to help, but a lot of situations in a precarious scenario as well. Uh, we've certainly found out overnight uh, the United States uh, releasing uh, materials that are needed to help India and such as uh, uh, the rest of the world tries to uh, to help this country, which is finds itself in just uh, dire straits right now. Let's bring in Satish Thakar, chair of Canada India Foundation, and is with us now. Satish, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, good afternoon, Scott. Thank you for having me. Great to, uh, to, uh, to, to be with you this afternoon. Give us a little bit of an update of what is happening over there. We've obviously seen the news reports and in the dire situation uh, that it is. What are you hearing? G give us a bit of a, an update and some insight as to what is happening there. Uh, thank you, uh, Scott. Yes, uh, the situation is quite uh, troubling. Uh, uh, what would we, we've been, uh, you know, kind of discussing uh, in back home. But at the same note, I've been experiencing, you know, in, in my discussion with my own family members, they, some of them have already gone through uh, kind of a COVID uh, situation and some which are they are going currently. Uh, yes, situation is troubling because India is such a vast country. And the kind of uh, situation arose right now, where we are seeing almost 350,000 plus cases every day. And the infrastructure uh, to cope up with this, of course, any country uh, will be uh, ch challenging uh, at, the, at, at this moment, uh, the way we are seeing in Canada also. But the recovery rate is high. Uh, in terms of uh, if we look at it, uh, you know, the, the death rates uh, uh, in India as compared to other uh, parts of the world, which is uh, remarkable. And uh, I, I think next few weeks, it would be a, a quite, quite uh, troubling uh, situation before it uh, kind of uh, cools down. And But it's, it's very worrisome. How did India get here? Because obviously fared a little bit better during the first and second waves. We've heard the uh, we've heard the phrase that India is the world's uh, drugstore. I mean, they produce a lot of this stuff and such. How how did India get behind the eight ball here? I, I think India uh, kind of a, did not prepare itself for the second wave, and they, uh, being a, a good global citizen, they of course uh, uh, reached out to the world in provided the vaccine wherever uh, the world needed it. Over, I think over 70 countries they uh, provided the help. And India, you know, it uh, of course it's a pharmacy of the world, but uh, on the same note, also rely on the import of uh, you know raw material. Uh, from different parts of the world as well. It's not self-reliant. Uh, India is on the journey of becoming the self-reliant. And with over one, almost 1 1.4 billion uh, people, and with this second wave, I think they took uh, a bit lightly. Of course, uh, the protocols, uh, COVID protocols were not properly fo followed. Uh, 
and and which caused you know getting into uh, this situation you talked about india being a good citizens and and obviously we're very appreciative of of the astrazeneca that's arrived on these shores uh from india is that the case though here or is it a case of selling to the highest bidder and the country didn't do a good enough job of keeping it back for its own citizens no i, I think the astrazeneca if we compare with the uh, other vaccines is the cheapest uh, one right so uh, the production cost in india is very very low and even at the international market not only from the commercial side i think uh, india also donated its vaccine to many countries so it was not because of uh, i think economic gain it was more of a be, being a good global citizen that how we can help to of course we have to uh, seek our own families take an example within india but at the same note you look at it how we can help support to the others who are in need along with ourselves so i i think that's that's one uh, of course i don't uh, put personally uh, to that uh, matter much weight is that that caused the second wave of course such a vast country to uh, operationalize for the vaccination uh you know they have close to 140 million people vaccinated uh, you know even uh, single dose right now uh, as we compare to all other uh, parts of the world except the us uh, i think they have done a remarkable job and which uh, at the same pace they have to continue and they have to uh, double their effort because we all are together in this we are not insulated insulated any anywhere sitting in the world uh, anything happening in india we are all equally you know fragile and kind of a vulnerable so to me i i think we as a uh, people sitting here of indo uh, canadian or sitting uh, people of indian origin are very very worrisome uh, at the same note uh, we have confidence that uh, of course india will uh, thrive soon and uh, uh, the machinery is working and they will be able to cope up it is a matter of a difficult time and all, all our thoughts and prayers that they uh, the people should be uh, able to keeping the hopes and optimism high should be able to come out of this soon what do you think uh what do you think satish that that india should learn from this or will learn from this uh what will they take forward moving forward wow yes absolutely so basically one is of course that like any other country that you have to uh, rely uh, on your own internal resources as much as you can which uh, uh, some of the initiative i think they started to make in india program which will accelerate now onward india will learn that they have to be self reliant no matter in the value chain whether it's a raw material finished products or any other uh, in the value chain they have to be self reliant that's number 1 and number 2 uh, creating an ecosystem of where people are more educated in terms of that uh, you know following the protocols how serious it is i think after the first wave where india uh, did well i think people did not follow it very seriously and i think uh, uh, kind of a opening of the economy and opening of uh, the other limitations were a, a bit faster 
when do you think uh, India will start to see the light at the end of the tunnel here? Any idea how long this wave will last for them? See, I'm not an expert. I wish I could be, uh, you know, kind of a, have a crystal ball. I can predict it. Uh, but the way uh, I've been listening to various experts and uh, reading various reports, uh, it appears like at least another two, two to three weeks uh, it will take before we uh, start seeing some kind of a flattening of the curve. And uh, we're here as well as the vaccine. There's there's shortage of these supplies, such as oxygen and such. What does India need right now? So India, I think all these countries have extended their uh, help, including Canada. Thanks to Canada that uh, they have extended their help. U.S., uh, U.K., uh, Australia, even even the, in the Middle East. So the countries have extended their help in providing whatever India need at this moment. So, and India has, I think India produces close to 7,000 ton of oxygen every day. But hmm. such a vast country with the utilization in the industrial sector also, and along with now in the hospital, it's just a bit challenging, but uh, hopefully within the next few days, uh, I think the situation will be able to uh, come under control. Uh, obviously, air travel suspended between in, uh, with India and Pakistan. And your thoughts on that? And should we have broadened this? Should we, should we do more to restrict air travel? I uh, I couldn't agree with you more that we need to uh, make it more strict. I think only the direct flights got cancelled from India and Pakistan, but indirect flights are still there. Of course, we are we are taking all the measures in terms of getting their uh, testing done uh, before before uh, kind of a uh, getting into the plane or after arriving in in into Canada. But I still feel that at this moment we need to have a completely uh, more control on that how some of these hotspot countries where we can uh, kind of a completely uh, close our flights, not only just what about, direct, but also the indirect flights as well. Uh, what about the reaction in the Indian community uh, regarding this? Uh, we certainly saw the UK give a bit more of a, a heads up that this was going to happen, whereas this sort of happened overnight. Uh, I, I, were, were people stuck between places or in one place or the other? Should there have been a bit more lead-up time to allow people to prepare? No, but I think that discussion was going on so, uh, since long, but mm-hmm. it took a while to uh, take up uh, this stand. Uh, but I think uh, people have been interacting. They all welcomed that stand that we should have closed a little more earlier, that it is needed. Because we are all, as I mentioned earlier, we are not insulated. And uh, lately we found like close to 36 uh, uh, people of Indian variant uh, found in Ontario, right? And uh, some in B.C., so I, I think at this moment, we need to protect our borders very, very carefully. And uh, our infrastructure is already at the verge of, you know, kind of a collapsing with the hospitalization. And currently in Ontario, the way situation is happening, right? So I think we need to be very, very extra cautious and very careful about how we are uh, getting people from outside coming into the country.
Satish Thakkar with us, chair of the Canada India Foundation. Uh, Satish, uh, obviously, we've seen, and as you mentioned, through the first wave, it, you know, India had a pretty good handle on this, and then obviously in a in a dire situation right now. What message, Satish, do you have to other countries uh, after you've seen what's happened in India and 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 the situation that they're in? I mean, we could all end up there if if we don't do things correctly. So, what message do you have to other countries? from from what you're witnessing here yeah absolutely be proactive in approach sometimes we become reactive but i think we need to be proactive in our approach and how can canadians help what can we do so at the canada level like uh, as uh, we at the canada india foundation level we are also trying to generate some lead what can be supplied what india needs now so that's one area we are focusing on. And second, uh, people of Indian origin who live here, I would don't get panic. Our message is don't get panic. Give you know hope and uh, optimism to your family and friends, and pray and wish well for them. Of course, sitting far away from uh, you know thousands of miles away from that country, we can't do much except to uh, give a hope, pray for them. And whatever uh, connectivity we can provide them, uh, I, I, we we can do only that much. So, uh, but uh, I think India uh, will cope up uh, with this. Of course, pandemic like this will always have some toll. And our our thoughts and uh, prayers for for many families who lost their young lives. It, it's a very heartbreaking uh, to see that. Is there any way Canadians individually can help, a Red Cross fund or something we can send to that will we'll get uh, help to India? Yes, we, we, we at the uh, you know, Canada India Foundation uh, level, we are raising some money. We'll be sending it to, uh, uh, as well, the people who are in need, because some of the families you see, uh, their bread earner is gone right so mm. small kind of a kids and with families so india in itself there are a lot of uh, philanthropic uh, efforts uh, take place uh, because in india csr is huge now and uh, but uh, yes at the at the canada level or indo canadian level uh, here also we always come forward to help support uh, for for the people in need and that uh, will we will continue that Satish Thakkar with us, chair of Canada India Foundation. Obviously, India being hard hit uh, by this third wave and needs help from uh, everybody. And if you can help out, uh, hit the website of the Canada India Foundation and find some more information there. Satish Thakkar with us, chair of the Canada India Foundation. Satish, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Good luck with all of this. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. It is 150 News at the top of the hour. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.